0: Welcome to the Mile High Church Podcast. Explore how to jettison anything toxic, stay in balance, and let go of what no longer serves. Declutter Your Life is Rev. Carol Wilkie's online class starting Monday, November 9th, using principles from Marie Kondo's best-selling book, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up. Learn more at milehighchurch.org. And now, Part 4 of Adventure in Faith 2020, Remembering What is Mine to Do, with Michelle Madrano. Thank you for your faith in yourself and your faith in us. We are blessed. We are blessed. And so for my message today, I'm excited to be part of uh, the continuing Adventure in Faith program we've got going. This is week four of five weeks total, and our theme has been very compelling, I think. It's cultivating certain faith in uncertain times. And so we've had some wonderful messages. We've got small groups going, hundreds of people in the small groups meeting online to really anchor in these uh, principles and ideas for themselves, and a great, themes. And today our theme is remembering what is mine to do. Remembering what is mine to do. Now, I would contend that every human being on this planet is born uh, connected to the divine in such a way that what is ours to do in every situation in our lives is clearly uh, revealed through who and what we are. But the hard part is that very first word, I think, remembering. Right, remembering. Sometimes what is mine to do bursts forth like the clearest bell in the world and sings itself out to me. And sometimes it seems a little elusive and hard to figure out. And I feel confused and disconnected and I'm not sure. And I'm talking about everything in life from the minutia, the most insignificant things that appear to confront us in terms of making decisions or caring for ourselves or walking forward. In our life, uh, remembering what's mine to do to care for my body and to care for my my soul and to care for myself at the deepest level, self care, remembering what is mine to do with regards to that, remembering what is mine to do as a friend and a family member and a family, uh, remembering what is mine to do as a member of a community, remembering what is mine to do as a citizen of a, a, the nation and a citizen of the, the world, remembering what is mine to do as I'm driving my car, remembering what is mine to do as I'm spending my money and circulating my good, remembering what is mine to do as I eat food, remembering what is mine to do as I speak to other beings on this planet. And so this is a very profound and powerful concept because in my mind, the more we can remember what is ours to do, the deeper our faith is in our self and our world. There's, an, there's a power in the authenticity of one who moves through their life remembering and actually doing and living out what is theirs to do in caring for themselves. We may not always like it when people choose to remember what's theirs to do as opposed to remembering what we think they should be doing. And that is the problem, isn't it? There's so much noise in the world, so much noise that wants to to impart to us and tell us and guide us into what is ours to do. And, and people have a really strong idea. The, uh, the people who are closest to us and think they know best for us and love us and want to give us advice and input about what they think we should be doing with our lives as well as... Uh, preachers and teachers and grandparents and uncles and aunties and the media and the government and uh, uh, the moral f- fiber of the world, all sorts of input. We get lots of input, and that's part of the noise. And so the, the, the part that knows what is ours to do has never gone away from any one of us, has never fallen away, has never been diminished has never had itself depleted, but the noise of the world and the habitual mindsets of thinking that I should pay more attention to what they think I should do, or that person thinks I should do, or my group thinks I should do, Versus that continual training and and going back over and over and over again in my life to my own inner authority, that is the dissonance that we face. And I think that dissonance keeps us sometimes trying hard to figure it out and feeling as though we can't quite figure it out. But it is a huge gift to remember what is mine to do. Neil Donald Walsh, the wonderful author, uh, says, every decision you make is not a decision about what to do. It's a decision about who you are. A decision about who you are. So maybe the real title could be not so much remembering what is mine to do, but remembering what is mine to be. And recognizing that every decision, from the smallest decision I make, to what I ingest in my body, to what I do with my time, to how I move about in the world, to how I care for myself, to how I act as a citizen of the world, that all of it reveals to myself, from myself, and to the world that I move around in, who I'm choosing to be. Who I'm choosing to be and that it all is powerful and profound, and that we are always guided. We always have that guidance within us. Ernest Holmes, our founder, said, We are guided daily by divine intelligence into paths of peace, wherein the soul recognizes its, sources, its source and meets it in joyful union, in complete at-one-ment. So I think a part of remembering what is mine to do is to remember to take time in my life on a daily basis, on a moment-by-moment basis, to remind myself that what is mine to do, what is mine to be, is always fully, functionally intact within me. And my work, and I'd say the work of a faithful being who is placing their faith in the source of life, my work is to do that which will help me remember and help me reveal from myself to myself and to the world, what is mine to do? What is mine to be? Every step of the journey. And that the more I do that, the more peaceful I am, the more authentic I am, the more anchored in love and joy I am, Whereas the greater that dissonance is, the more uncomfortable I am, the more anxious I am, the more frustrated I am, the more confused I am. And so it's a choice of recognizing that when we choose to live our faith out in this remembering activity, we can find our deepest self. And what that takes is to pay attention to what we're paying attention to we've been cultured and trained, a lot of us, as I said already, to pay attention to the voices out there. So let's start with the voices out there. The elusive them and they. They say we should. They say it's better to. They say it's important to. We get a lot of input as human beings growing up, we get input constantly from the moment we're born. We get input about what's appropriate for us to be and do based on our gender, based on our culture, based on our race, based on our socioeconomic status, based on the country we live in, based on who we are, the color of our skin, all of that. We get lots of input about what the world and and those around us think is ours to do. But the classic stories that make up some of the best literature and plays and music have to do with people who eventually, despite any and all of that, said, I'm gonna listen to my own inner authority. I'm gonna follow my own inner voice. And I'm going to tune out that noise and, and I don't want to say we completely tune out that noise, because the truth is we're placed here together on this planet, and we can receive powerful and profound input from people, and so we don't want to tune out all of that noise, but what I noticed about myself at one point is that I was addicted to that noise out there, to those voices out there. I was addicted to knowing what they, and that might include everybody else in my life, thought I should be doing and being versus me. I was giving over my power to those voices, to the voices in the media about how I should look and how I should act and what it means to be a woman and what it means to be a woman at my age and what it means to do this and what it means to do that, what I should have accomplished, rather that I discovered that when I could tune all that out, I was much happier following my own voice taking the input that resonated with me, being willing and recognizing that, for example, if I'm in a job or I'm in a position where I want to be doing well and I get input that someone wants to share with me about how I could be better or how I could do better, then i don't just discount it. I don't get rebellious about it, like my voice is the only voice that counts. It's a balance of of tuning in and recognizing that the voices out there... Can't be the end-all be-all of my choices about what is mine to do and be but at the same time I can't just turn all of them away and say I'm never listening to anyone who tells me what I could be or do neither one of those extremes works there's a, a beautiful balance of tuning in to to tuning in and allowing those voices to be balanced and joyful and to allow ourselves to do that can take great courage And I suspect we can all cite times when we listen to that voice within and step forward. And it takes courage because here's the thing about that. Uh, People might think you're crazy sometimes because everyone over here thinks you should be doing or being this, and your inner voice is saying, I need to be doing this. And we won't always get it right. Sometimes, despite listening to that inner voice fervently and stepping forward, I still stumble into challenge or frustration. and won't always get it exactly right. And it can be uncomfortable, but it's worth it. It's true fulfillment, true faith building, true standing in what I would call my true north. As I look back over my life, I can count numerous examples where I listen to that inner voice. the the inner voice that beckoned me into ministry. I resisted it for a while. Honestly, I just thought that was the dumbest idea I'd ever heard in my life. Ministers were boring, who'd want to do that? And eventually, you know, look where I'm standing right now. So I eventually listened clearly, but I was in resistance. So that story is a a huge one in my life. I also, uh, in looking back, remember a time in my former community at New Vision Center in Scottsdale, Arizona, it was in 2008, there was a lot of strife in our country. The housing market was tanking. Uh, we were, our, our economic status in the world was tanking. We were, people were scared and stressed and frustrated. And donations in churches started to, to go down quite, quite powerfully, they did in our church in Arizona. And we were renting a, a space in Scottsdale that was a pretty high-priced uh, rental space and so our board decided to look around, and we decided that it would be better for us to purchase a building that we'd found that would mean that our mortgage would be about half of what our rent was. And one of the places that I know that I've struggled in my lifetime as a minister, um, I did till a few years ago, I'd say, is that I'm a career minister. So that means that I got that calling when I was 18, and I haven't really had much of any other career but this. And so that's good news and bad news in many ways. Um, people around me, especially when I was a young minister, would say that one of my weaknesses was that I wasn't a very good business person, that I'd never been in business, I'd never had a business, I'd never worked for a bona fide business. I'd only worked in the nonprofit world, I worked as a teenager in a couple of businesses. But, but the business people, when it came time to do things like buy a building, were full of advice, chock full of advice for me. And one of the things that we discovered we would have to do, we were in the middle of a seven-year lease, and in order to purchase this building we wanted to purchase, we would have to get ourselves out of that lease. And the business people around me said, impossible, it will never happen. These are science-of-mind business people, by the way. Impossible. It will never happen. In a time like this, they will never let you out of that lease. But my inner voice said something completely different. And I said, well, I'm going to try. Just let me try. And so for a while, I called the landlord. My guidance told me to call the landlord uh, every few weeks. And I would just call him up and just talk to him. And I would connect with him. And he and I would share our lives with each other. And at the end of the call, I'd say, so how would you feel about letting us out of our lease? And for a few months, he said, mm, I don't think so. And I'd call him up the next time and say, hi. And we'd talk, and I'd say, so how would you feel about letting us out of our lease? And he'd say, well, I think I'd have to talk to my family about that. I said, great, talk to your family about that. And then I'd call him up, and I'd say, how would you feel about letting us out of the lease? Well, the business people thought this was just the dumbest idea they'd ever heard. But there came a month where I called him, And I said, how would you feel about letting us out of our lease? And he said, okay, I'll let you out of your lease. Now, we did pay a little money, but not near what we had to pay if we had stayed there for seven years. And we were able to buy our church. At a time also when all the banks were saying no to lending money to a church... We had miracle after miracle. And I think that particular instance with the landlord was my inner voice prompting me. But I watched as a group, as together we followed our inner guidance system to what was necessary to move forward in the good that we sought. So the value of listening to the voice inside is powerful. The voice in here, the voice of my inner universal help system. That's what I call it. Inside of us, we have the most sophisticated computer on the planet that guides and directs us like nothing else. But as I've indicated already, we have to remember to use it. What happens for many of us when we're listening to the voices out there, we're in our head. We're listening to our headspace. Last, a couple weeks ago, I talked about listening to our heart. Last week, Reverend Josh talked about, as part of his message, about being guided. There is a voice inside of us, an internal compass, a place within us that can lead us forward, and the more we begin to listen to that, we find that some really key things begin to happen to us. We begin to feel as though we're on purpose, as though we're on the right track, and we may get it. It right and we may get it wrong, but we will feel so fulfilled. We will feel so connected. And our faith is built powerfully by the times that we listen and move forward and get it right. And we see magic begin to happen. Little surprises that are just amazing and powerful and profound. As we listen, we see signs along the way that align us to the synchronicity of the good that is within us, that is guiding us. In purchasing that bill, we, we opened on Christmas Eve. That was our first service in that new building. And when we got there, by the time we got there with all the moving and all the things we had to do, we were behind. We were, we were short by about $42,000 that night. And we knew we had candlelight services. And just like here at Mile High Church, often the end of the year, and candlelight is a very abundant pl- time because people are so generous with us. And so we were trusting, the board and I, we were trusting. And that night, I will never forget, the board president was on the money counting team, and she came to me crying after the last service, and she showed me that that night someone had given a check for 42,000 dollars exactly. And we felt, as a group, we're, we're, we're on there we're doing what's ours to do. This is right. This is right action. This is what we're supposed to be about. And so many times, as I have followed my gut and moved forward, synchronicities like that show up, and they give me faith. And they make me feel connected to the truth of my being and to the truth of my inner system that leads me forward powerfully and profoundly. And so I encourage us to find those inner voices within us. And I say voices because we've all integrated the voices of wisdom within us. And we all listen to those inner voices. Years ago, my mother, Linda Frazee, who's a a great speaker and teacher, had a process she did with imagery called Your Board of Directors. And she would have us get quiet and she would have us look at who's on your internal board of directors. Who are the voices that you're let guiding you and directing you? And for some of us, it's, the, it's not our mentors, it's our tormentors. We're spending time letting our tormentors be on our board. The people who didn't believe in us, the people who criticized us the most, the people who caused us the most pain, we're reacting to them and responding from that potential fear versus this inner centeredness. And so she would lead us through a process of literally firing any board members who were no, not appropriate anymore and choosing new board members, people who were alive or people who'd gone on to the next plane of existence. And I remember that so well. And about a year ago, I started reintegrating that in my personal life, in my spiritual life. Except this time, I chose a board of directors, a round table, and I envision myself standing in the middle of this table. And there are 12 spots at the table uh, while they're not my disciples, like Jesus had disciples, it felt somehow appropriate to have 12 of them, and they reside at each point along the way of a clock. And so I have them there as people that I admire and whose voices I respect, whose voice I want to emulate, people whose energy I want to be like. Some of them are still here on the planet, like our wonderful Dr. Roger Teal. Some of them are long gone, like Jesus, Yeshua ben Joseph, the great spiritual leader who sits at 11 o'clock in honor of his mastery, the number 11 on my wheel. And when I come here to speak before I speak, I sit in a space and I imagine the energy of all 12 of them around me and influencing me and and, and energizing me and that my voice and their voice are merged and that I walk through my life acting, speaking, living, choosing to be in alignment with the greatest of the great in my opinion. And if I have a problem or a challenge or I don't know how to deal with something, I will allow myself to go within and feel the energy of one of them or two of them and ask what would they do? What would this voice say to me? How would this voice guide me to take care of myself or to act or to step forward in my life in the most profound ways? That's just one technique that I offer us today to consider because this gives me a sense of being anchored always in my vision, in the voice of vision that lives within me, the voice of vision that guides me forward. The wonderful teacher, Joe Dispenza, we got to see him on a video recently in a class I was teaching, and Joe said, the best way to predict my future is to create it. The best way to predict my future is to create it. So I see that process with the 12 as how I create my future. And I ask myself other important questions. Will this step that I'm about to take or these words I'm about to say or this action I'm about to act, will it allow me to stay in alignment with my highest vision of myself? From the minutia to the biggest things, what is mine to do here? Which can also bring clarity about what is not mine to do, which is just as important. What is not mine to do sometimes shows up so clearly in asking these questions. What would love do here? How do I stand in my highest vision and act and speak more from here as often as possible in every way? I don't know if you've heard or not, but um, here in the United States, there's this thing going on called a, a presidential election these days. Uh, in addition to electing a new president in the U.S., which I know some of our viewers are not living here in the U.S., but you can probably feel the, the kind of the grief and the, the stress that's showing up in this election for us, every city, county has other uh, things to consider on their ballot. And of course, as you can imagine, we, many of us have already voted, but we would ask every one of us, every citizen of the U.S., to ask these important questions as we go to vote. Remember, what is mine to do here? And many of us have voted already and, and moved forward, but I would say that you know, it's really important for us to, to vote prayerfully and use our inner guidance system to guide us in our voting. Uh, the American politician and physician Walter H. Judd said, People often say that in a democracy, decisions are made by a majority of the people. Of course, that is not true. Decisions are made by a majority of those who make themselves heard and who vote. A very different thing. And so we invite and encourage our members and friends and those watching who live in the U.S. to vote and to pray for our country, and to pray for those who are voting, and if you don't live in the U.S., to, to pray for us. And in our wonderful Adventure in Faith uh, materials, one of our members, Sylvia Castile, wrote some really great things we called the Voter Checklist, Conscious Voter Checklist. and I'd like to, like to presence us to that this morning as we begin to close out this part of the service. She says, I will affirm the highest good no matter which candidates are selected for office and will commit to claiming peace, restoration, and oneness beyond any appearance or outcome. I love that one. My inner voice has been telling me to remember to affirm that no matter who the president is, our country can continue to thrive. We can continue to thrive. And so I'm standing in that affirmation. The next one is I will approach and not avoid central issues facing my community and country. I will seek to discuss them in supportive spaces where I'm willing to hear and trust that I am being heard even when in disagreement. I will hold myself accountable to being a role model for good in my home, online, and having to do with controversy in every area, knowing that greater good is always unfolding. We are placing our faith In the process, trusting the process that we are in. And lastly, I will stand for equality for all people, regardless of race, religion, gender, sexual orientation, or political affiliation. That is our teaching. We stand with all, for all, as all, because we know that God is the all that is, and we are that which it is. We vote. We step forward in every area of our life, choosing to remember what is ours to do. Thank you for listening to the Mile High Church Podcast. This podcast is made possible by the generous contributions from listeners like you. If you'd like to make a donation, please visit us at milehighchurch.org. Have a fabulous day.